Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Carol Ward. As a licensed psychotherapist and coach, Carol is committed to helping others find their inner confidence. Using her background as a trained therapist, Carol brings psychological insight to her career as a coach, media guest, and motivational speaker. She helps audiences understand why they do what they do and offers them concrete tools for change. In the episode, Carol discusses why confidence is important, how to become more confident, the effects social media can have on confidence, and more. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be grateful if you leave a review. Thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Carol, thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hey, Brooke, great to be here. It's so good to have you. And I'm excited to dive into the topic of confidence because I think that's a cool area to focus on and I don't know much about it. So I always love having a guest where I learn a lot myself. Would you begin by sharing your background with us and specifically what led you to become a psychotherapist? Sure. It's kind of a it's kind of a twisty turny journey. I live in New York City and I moved to New York to pursue a career in performing and had some success. I did some commercials, I did some voiceovers, but like any good New Yorker, I also went into therapy and discovered that I loved the process of psychotherapy. I hmm. liked the exploration. This isn't my phrase, but I borrowed it from somebody called me search. I love the me search aspect of therapy. And as I started to do that, I found that I got interested in the profession. And so I started to ask different people about what it was like to be a therapist. And I had one of those experiences, Brooke, where when I told people, I, I think I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to become a therapist. They were like, oh, right. That's exactly what you should do. There was no hedging because I like people and I like to talk to them. Mm. So I think that's what caused it. Mm -hmm. They already saw you as a therapist in their exactly. mind. Exactly. Just you didn't have the credentials after your name yet. That's all you needed. That's right. Oh, wow. That's very cool. What type of performer were you wanting to be? Well, I had thought about, you always think about theater, but in fact, I started to, after I got an agent, I started doing commercial auditions and getting some commercials. And then I started doing voiceovers and mm. I did that for a while. And I I liked it, but I have since discovered through the me search that I did 
that what I really enjoyed the most was having my own voice out in the world. And performing is a way to get you in front of people. And then some people either really love it, and that's their passion, trying on different characters and exploring them. But for me, it was more the, oh, I liked being in front of groups and sharing of myself. But that that was a process. That yeah. That happened more as I got into becoming a therapist. I was going to say, you have a very beautiful voice. So thank you. I'm sure you've heard that before. I could see where voiceovers would have been. I had never, I've never had any vocal training. It was just one of those things. And people said, oh, you should do voiceovers. Yeah. All right. How cool. Do you still pursue any type of performance thing anymore? I haven't, but I have to say, I have thought about delving into the voiceover world, which has changed a lot. Now you can just put up a a recording. And I've said to my husband, you know, if we ever move anywhere outside of New York City, maybe I will do community theater and do Mm. something like that. Or yeah, I could see reading audiobooks or something. You know, I took an audiobook class Ah. and I thought about it, Brooke, but it is, it's, those are projects. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's lot. It's not as easy as just right. Oh, go oh, record an audio. <laughs> exactly. Read the book. It's if you make a mistake, you have to mm. start. You have to stop. But I've thought about doing some voiceovers, and that's like a little area that I've got tucked up on the shelf. Interesting. Right yeah, I love it. It's always good to have that little area on the shelf, right, for future you. What led you to start to focus on confidence specifically? Well, I, I found that being a therapist, and then I transitioned into coaching, but specifically with being a therapist, that the all the emotional issues that were underneath people's struggles in the world of, of varying degrees led to them not having confidence either personally or professionally. Mm-hmm. So whether they had had abuse in their background or there had been neglect or there had been an overly critical parent, all of those different types of issues impacted how they saw themselves and how they put themselves out in the world. And I became more and more interested in helping people feel and be the best that they could. What is confidence? What does that even mean? Well, I've always defined it as the belief and acceptance of yourself and what you have to offer to others. And that can be personally or professionally, because if you believe in yourself, in what you have to offer to others, you'll put yourself out more in the world. And if you accept who you are, with all the flaws and all the positives, you also will be able to connect to people and put yourself out in the world in the way that you want. Mm -hmm. I mean, that second part you just said, accepting yourself, all the flaws, who you are, does that come easier to some than to others? Is this something that some of us are born with or can everybody get more confident? Both. I think that some people are born confident and you can see it there. They just feel that way. They exude a kind of energy, but I do believe that. And and what that comes from is very good nurturing positive upbringing, a lot of cheerleading, a lot of you can do it, you know, validation. 
for other people who didn't come out of that background, they absolutely can learn how to be more confident. It's it's a myth that once you know the people have confidence or they don't. I that is not true. I have seen people step by step develop and cultivate confidence. It's a wonderful thing to see despite having maybe not such a great upbringing or background. And it it really is wonderful to notice when that happens. Does a lack of confidence typically stem from not such a good upbringing? Or can somebody have a fantastic upbringing and still not feel confident as an adult? I think that's a really great question because I have seen that a lot. And the way that I see it is I do a lot of executive coaching in different professions. One of the professions is the legal profession. And in that profession here, you have very bright, very talented people. But the industry, and I think it's changing, but the, but the whole, it's almost like medical school, not a lot of positive feedback along the way, more of, of a, a sense of challenge and a stimulation of the brain. I guess I, I want to say that, that attorneys and, and, and law students are challenged constantly so that they can be precise about their language and their arguments. But there isn't a lot of, hey, that was great. So they might have had great backgrounds. They might have had a great childhood, but they may enter a profession that has a lot of either criticism, constant criticism, or a lack of feedback. And again, I think you can find that in different industries. You can find it in the the medical field, though that's changing, the nursing field, though that's changing, the legal field. And maybe some of your listeners will say, hey, it happens in my field as well. So it doesn't have to be bad childhood, lack of confidence. It can happen later in life if you aren't getting enough positive feedback. Okay. And so is positive feedback or validation, is that kind of the key to building confidence? Yes. From the outside. Okay. In. From the inside out, there are, there are those traits of, or those behaviors of, if you're not getting positive feedback, one, you have to look at who you're hanging out with, but secondly, how do you develop and create it for yourself? And that can be done, but it does mean that you have to raise your awareness and do it consciously. Right. So yeah, that was my question of to do it yourself, because then does that mean you have to validate and give positive feedback to yourself? Or how does it work inwardly? Or well, what he, are, do you have strategies? Or I, how do you do that? <laughs> well, it, it is. And it is, you know, when people first start out doing it, it's like, how do they do? How do I, how do, I do it? It's a great thing to ask. I have this one specific exercise that I do with people, and it's called an acknowledgement exercise. And I will make them track all the positive things that have happened, small, large, personally, professionally, within a week. So that could be, hey, someone said, oh, you've got a great kid, or someone said to me, you know, that was a great project you completed or what a great speech, or that was a great remark you made at work. And I will have people track these comments and remarks, and then I'll have them read it to me in our coaching session. And it's really interesting they to see how people go through this process. They'll read it to me. And then there's usually, for people who are lacking confidence, a 
scraping away of the accomplishment. Yes, I spoke up at the office, but so-and-so did it better. Or, you know, someone commented that I had a great kid, but, you know, their kid is so far advanced, blah, blah, blah. And it is a lot of blah, blah, blah. And I will have to slow them down and ask them to pay attention. This is about the body-mind connection of how it felt to really receive that compliment and then how they felt about the compliment in a positive way. And through that very specific step-by-step process, people start to breathe a little bit more and they start to realize that they deserve the compliment Mm. or the acknowledgement. I've read before that women are especially good at kind of shifting a compliment away from themselves. So if somebody says, oh, I love your shoes, rather than just saying thank you, and I do this myself, saying, oh, thanks, I got them on sale or whatever, and or these old things, I've had them forever. (laughs) That's right. And when that, I I actually, when I, I add another exercise, I tell people that I want them to do when they receive a compliment, this is called, I created this term called compliment linking. So that when someone gives you a compliment, hey, Brooke, I love that sweater you're wearing, that you can say thank you, but then you have to also say how receiving that compliment makes you feel. So for example, someone says, hey, Carol, I really love your necklace. Thank you so much. It's one of my favorite necklaces, and I got it when my husband and I traveled to Maine. Thank you for the compliment. And what compliment linking does is it makes you attach your feelings to the compliment so you can share in the happiness of the compliment, not just deflect it away and have it be about the other person. So if I said to you, if we were to practice a compliment linking here, and I said, Brooke, I love this sweater you're wearing. It looks really soft and comfortable. If you were to compliment link what might you say? Thank you. It's actually, <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is it's actually very itchy, but <laughs> right. so uh, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, it is very cozy and warm and I appreciate that compliment. Yeah. That's a, that's a starting point. So okay. whatever it is, uh, you can say, I appreciate it, but how, but something positive of how, thank you so much. You know, you could even say, oh, it's a little bit itchy, but I find when I'm doing my interviews, it's a great sweater to jump into and I feel relaxed and ready to go, whatever it is. But that's just an example of don't cheat yourself. Don't cut yourself out of the compliment. Connect to the compliment and that's going to help build confidence. I want to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment, which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. 
So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. What do you do in a professional situation with that compliment linking? So I always find, I work as a nutrition coach, so in a similar kind of coaching capacity as you, and a lot of what you're saying is ringing true from working with clients. So when I start a call, I have them just name as many wins as they can think of from the previous week. And we just really focus on and celebrate those. But a lot of times they will say something like, oh yeah, I felt really in control around my food this week. And I wasn't kind of obsessing about choices as much, but I know that's because I, you know, had this meal service or they'll always put it off on something else rather than themselves. And so we do work on that. But then, for example, if somebody, I just think it feels kind of uncomfortable. So let's say in a professional situation, somebody at work tells you, you're doing a really good job, or you're great at what you do. For me, that can feel really weird. I don't like it. (laughs) So I do the same thing. I kind of throw it back. If they say, Oh, my gosh, you're really helping me or whatever. I start to feel really uncomfortable. And then I say like, oh, but you're doing everything. It's all you. So how do you, how do you accept one of those type of compliments? Personalize it. So if if someone said, you're doing a really great job at work, you could say, thank you. I really love what I do. Uh And I really have enjoyed fill in the blank, working with you, working on this project. And I actually, and then there's another step to compliment linking, which I'll tell you, but these first two steps of thank you. I really enjoy what I do. I I just love helping people and it makes me feel good. So you are connecting to yourself to why it makes you feel good, which in a very slow way, or maybe, maybe fast way by osmosis, you are allowing yourself the joy of the experience and it doesn't have to be showy or thanks so much. And, and, you know, I deserve to be the head of the company, but you're basically sharing how you feel. So if a client said to you, you are really helping me, I think you're the best to be able to say, thank you. I love working and helping people overcome any nutritional issues they have. And that it could be one or two sentences. Mm-hmm. And then you could go to, but you're, you know, you're doing all the work. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to, this is advanced step, but if you were in a situation where you wanted to signal to someone else that you want more of that kind of work or you wanted more clients, you could throw in a sentence, step three, which, so thank you very much. I love working with people, helping with them with their nutritional needs. And I'm looking and always looking to expand my reach to help as many people as I can. So what that does for the person listening is they go, oh, I've got someone I could refer to Brooke. Mm -hmm. Or in a different kind of professional situation, it could be like, oh, Carol really loves giving speeches. I know an organization that would love to have her. 
So again, very simple, very honest, very truthful. And by doing it in that very easy, slow way, you get used to receiving the compliment and other people don't get cheated out of the pleasure of giving you a compliment. Right. Because, yeah, I think that is a really important point. I love giving the compliments. It's the receiving that's so much harder. Right. So getting comfortable with that feels like a challenge, but what is the benefit to getting more comfortable with compliments? Is that just directly correlated with boosting your confidence, actually receiving the compliments or, you know, what are some other benefits if we practice that? The benefit is exactly that you become more confident and more connected to yourself and what you have to offer. If you're constantly dismissing yourself pushing away things, you feel deprived. Then you don't feel like anything you're doing is mattering. I mean, you know, your your career's doing well and you're working with people, but the satisfaction, the true satisfaction and the celebration of what you're doing and what you have to offer is then missed if you don't take it in. And I've worked with many people. I've coached people who, yes, who will uh, will do the exercise. They'll tell me, just like you work with your clients, these are my wins. They start to dismiss them. And they are perpetually dissatisfied with where they are in life or where they are in profession, where they are professionally. There's kind of this like feeling of not taking up and taking up the space, mm-hmm. feeling, allowing themselves to become more visible. So it does eat away at self-esteem and satisfaction, sometimes on a low level and sometimes on a very high level. What if someone tries that activity of kind of writing down all of the validation or compliments they get throughout the week, but they just don't get a lot, maybe from a boss or coworkers or friends or a partner? What if they're not receiving a lot of verbal compliments and validation, what could that person do? So in that case, that person has to then be the self-validator. So I'll Mm -hmm. say, what did you achieve for yourself this week that you're proud of? What did you do? Well, I I asked uh, for more responsibility Mm -hmm. or I said no to another volunteer opportunity because I just didn't have the time. And then I will say, can you notice and tell me how that felt? Well, it felt a little nervous, but actually it feels like a great relief that I have more time. So it is also the self-validation that really can help people in industries where there's not a lot of validation or they're just doing work that's more one-on-one. And then with that one, they get to share it with me, but I often will say to them, I want you to share it with someone that you trust. So whether it's a partner, a friend, someone that you could say, you know, something really great happened to me this week. I completed a project under budget on time and I'm really I'm really pleased with it. And have another person then celebrate with you. With that though there's a little little caveat which is make be very selective about Mm -hmm. who you share your wins with in that you want to share with people who are really a hundred percent in your corner. Mm -hmm. You don't want anyone to go, 
well, it sounds good, but it's not what I would do, right? So you want, you think about those people who are so much on your team and that's who you share your achievements with. Sometimes I'll have a client where, I mean, I do this exercise with every client of, you know, tell me your wins, let's celebrate those, let's talk about what's going well. But they are, I don't know if I would call them losses or just kind of negative self-talk, even though we do that that kind of still tends to outweigh their positive thoughts. What can somebody do in that circumstance? If they try, they feel like, okay, I'm focusing on this win. I shared it with somebody, but then there are 10 negative self-thought, self-talk thoughts that come after it. I, if, if, when I coach people and I run into that, I actually start to challenge that. And I'll say Mm -hmm. something like, you know, I notice that every time you tell me a win, there's this tendency to focus on what's wrong with this picture. Are you aware of that? Mm-hmm. And why do you think that is? What's the, and they call it the secondary gain. What's the secondary gain? What do you gain? And it's, it's not a judgment because we all do it sometimes. What do you gain by playing small or being negatively or saying negative things to yourself? And some people are very surprised. Like, wow, I don't know. But it often, not often, or, 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 or different reasons that show up are, well, if I, and this can go back historically into their childhood or just a negative experience, well, if I look at the negative, then I never have to get disappointed. Or if I hold on to the negative, at least I know it. At least it's familiar. I don't have to risk changing or risk being hopeful and then being disappointed in the future. So it's all about safety Hmm. in those situations. There's something, even though it's an outdated, not so great system of of providing safety, that's what people will do to keep themselves emotionally safe. They will look at the glass half empty all the time because it beats then taking the risk of possibly being disappointed. Hmm. And then how do they get comfortable with taking that risk of being disappointed? So then it's about just going back to, okay, now that we recognize it, now we've shaken the tree, now that we've shaken up that belief, I want you to figure out a couple of sentences to talk back to that negative voice. So you might be working with someone, Brooke, and you might say, tell me about your wins. That's really great. The person says, "Eh, yeah, but, and you say, I've noticed that I would like you to, and I want to make sure I, I, I hold on to my train of thought. I want you to then talk back to or name that negative voice. So you Mm -hmm. could say something like the person who's feeling negative might say, well, look who's showing up. Just when I'm feeling more expansive, just when I feel like I'm losing weight or making achievements, here comes Mm -hmm. fill in the name or a phrase. Here comes that protective part. Here comes negative Nancy, whatever it is. Here comes the green eyed monster, (laughs) right? So that you start to separate out the automatic negative thinking. You put, you put a wedge in there and name the behavior so that you can start changing it. Uh, and I think the way you just said it also could be freeing 
that when it happens, it's not just, oh, like what's wrong with me? It's happening again. Just naming it and knowing this is going to happen. So expecting it, I think can also be helpful when it doesn't feel like, oh, there's a problem with me. What's wrong with me? It's this is everybody has kind of a tendency to do this. So if I just name it and kind of pause, right, I can go from there. That's right. You slow it down. You're slowing down that negative train. And because most people, I mean, it's a learned thing, negative self-talk. It's something we learn, something we absorb. I mean, it's very rare and maybe someone will say otherwise, but most of us arrive feeling open and, and, you know, as little babies and children, it's only over time that we learn to think small, to think negatively about ourselves, or we have an incident later in life, you know, something that went wrong in school or an, uh, an experience in the workforce that makes us doubt ourselves. But it's not usually, but again, that's a learned thing or something that we absorb. So those things can be ch- turned around. Since confidence isn't something we can kind of objectively measure, it is so sort of relative and subjective. How can somebody know if they are confident enough? What's happening in their lives that would give them the evidence? I'm big on evidence. So sometimes people will be, I'll be coaching them and they may be stuck on something, but there are things that are changing in their lives. Maybe they have one ultimate goal, but there are little things that are happening and changing all around them. So for example, maybe someone wants to feel more confident about speaking up in meetings. And they say to me, well, you know, I I suggested one idea this month. And I will say to them that that counts and that they will start to notice if professionally, let's focus on professionally for a moment, if things start, if more opportunities start to happen, Mm -hmm. because sometimes people will say, what are the advantage, you know, what's the advantage of being more confident in a professional setting? One, it creates visibility. People start to notice you. Oh, so-and-so speaking up. Oh, so-and-so came into my office and asked for more responsibility. Oh, so-and-so wants to head the team. So, I'm starting to notice them more. Secondly, it creates more opportunity. The more visible you are, the more opportunity starts to come your way. And the third thing is, the more opportunity you have, the more expertise mm-hmm. you start to develop because you have more opportunity. And it all then cycles around. So look for the evidence. Look at, look at people saying, oh, great job, or offering you more responsibility. Notice how you feel walking into a room, which is also another way of noticing confidence. Those are some of the things. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, 
have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. So opportunity, I guess a word I use a lot with clients is action. So is it kind of the more opportunities or the more action you take that can snowball into more confidence? Yes. So it starts with action. It starts with action. Okay. Which is that, which creates visibility. Uh Visibility creates opportunity. Opportunity creates expertise. So expertise, okay. Expertise, expertise. um, If you're coaching people in, in nutrition, the more actions they take, the more opportunities they have to choose healthier choices, healthier Mm -hmm. things, whatever they're deciding, the more expertise they will have when there is a choice between not such good nutrition and Mm -hmm. good nutrition, they will become experts. Okay. I'm I'm typing that out right now. Action, opportunity, expertise. I love that. And then look for the evidence kind of around you. Or yeah. Exactly. And, And that also sometimes... Sometimes nothing else is happening except there's a, a feeling inside and a way that somebody carries themselves where they're, they might say, well, you know, not a lot has happened, but I'm just feeling more comfortable and, and feeling like I can interact in a, in a different way. So it can either be an internal feeling or it can be an external series of evidence. Okay. Awesome. I love that. You mentioned earlier that a myth is kind of confidence is something you have or you don't have. What are some other myths circulating about confidence? Social media comes to mind because I think (laughs) there's a lot of myths and misconceptions. So people who are talking about confidence, in what ways are they talking about it that kind of irk you that you are thinking that's kind of missing the mark? Well, then it has to be one way. You know, people think of confidence and they sometimes think of the loudest or the most vibrant and the most effusive person in the room and the person who's speaking up all the time. And I have seen, and I'm sure many of your listeners have heard people who have, who have witnessed people who are quiet and confident. And when they speak up, jewels fall out of their mouths of wisdom. So the myth is that confidence and exuding confidence has to be in this big brash way. Mm-hmm. And it's not that way at all. It can be very much about your personality and what you have to say. And you can say it in a manner that reflects who you are and the wisdom you have to offer. And it doesn't have to be at level 10 in terms of volume. So I've also seen speakers who are very conversational and low key, and they have just as much of an impact as the person who's saying, hello, everybody. And I mean, different scenarios call for different things, but it's to move away from the compare and despair. Yeah. I guess what you're saying to me sounds like you don't have to be this loud extrovert. If you're more of an introverted, quiet person, confidence is still something for you. Where do you think we get that from, that we attach confidence to these loud, extroverted people? Well, it's what you said. I mean, I think on social media, we Mm. see people, the loudest voice captures the most attention. The person with the most followers captures the most attention. 
now we're no, now we're finding out that a lot of those followers can be bought and that things aren't what they seem to be but we see people in the media who often are at level 10 when they're talking about their stuff and that's not that's not that doesn't necessarily have to be the most confident person in the room they they just happen to be the loudest and i just want to say something about social media and you maybe say this to your clients as well it is lethal to go on to social media sites when you're not feeling confident and feeling good about yourself. And I've, I've had conversations with clients and my belief is that we're going on social media to make connections, sometimes to find out information, but the, the source is the wrong place to, to look for that because what is put out, I, I wrote this article one time that says everybody has a backstory. What is put out on social media is often not reflecting the backstory and the complexity of people's lives. And people have stuff. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of stuff. Maybe there are forums where people put that out, but most times social media is about my life is great, things are wonderful, here's my vacation pictures, here's our beautiful home. Being a therapist and a coach, I know there's a lot more behind the fence. Right. I think about that myself because I do post a lot on social media, especially nutrition tips and whatnot. And I post enough of myself, but I don't post a lot. So even though people see me on there all the time, they may think they know me, but I'm choosing which parts of my, myself and my life that I share. I'm not sharing every single facet of my life. And so I know all of those parts I'm not sharing. And so I right. try to think about that when I'm looking at creators of they're showing maybe 10% of what's going on. There's a whole 90% behind that, but we don't, we don't share the kind of drudgery of things, right? Of That's right. And it, and, and when, when you're vulnerable and you're feeling insecure, you can take in those images and think that that is real life. When I remember, and I, I can't remember the, the, it was an article I read where it was an influencer. And again, people get to do what they want to do and it's a way to make a living. But how this person talked about the hours they spent posing to make sure that they looked the best that they could. So it's it's a it's an artificial creation, sometimes on imaging. In terms of tips and information, it's a great place to get them mm-hmm. because you're not saying you have to do this my way or else. You're saying here this will benefit you. I say look for those sources of information where you go in and you feel great and inspired, as opposed to I'm not doing enough. And I think kind of doing an audit every once in a while works well for me. If I log in and I kind of find that every time I open up an app, I'm not feeling so good. Then I kind of ask, okay, wait, who am I following? What content am I seeing? Should I unfollow some of these people so that I'm following accounts that actually do provide great tips and they're more uplifting and real. And I feel good about myself when I open it. I had one client who made a really profound realization that I think about a lot 
she, like many of us, myself included, had a habit of looking at her phone in bed. And I used to do this. It's something I continually work on where I'm reading now instead of looking at my phone. And it's challenging because it's you want to kind of log on and just keep looking at stuff. But setting my alarm, putting my phone aside and reading from a book, that's something I'm working on. So she's trying her own practice at night. But through taking action, she realized that when she would open up social media some nights lying in bed, sometimes it was a great experience and she would laugh and it would, you know, funny accounts, whatever. And then she'd turn her phone off and drift off to sleep. But she said, you don't know what you're going to get. So some nights she would log on and the algorithm would take her a different direction. And then all of a sudden she called it doom scrolling. So all of a sudden she's doom scrolling and she's down this rabbit hole of, politics or whatever. And she's just feeling depressed and vulnerable. And then she turns her phone off and then it takes her an hour to fall asleep. And so she had this realization that when you open up these apps, you don't know what the algorithm is going to show you. It's not a reliable thing. So to put yourself in that vulnerable position in your bed when you're trying to fall asleep is risky. I totally agree. I had a I had a colleague say to me, going on social media is like walking into a movie halfway. Hmm. Where so we have no idea what happened before. You're walking right into this unknown and just like your client, you are then going to be tossed around. So and again, I, I also look at my phone, I try to curtail it. But I lately have been saying, what am I looking for? What what do I what am I emotionally looking for? Am I f- looking for connection? Am I looking for information? Am I looking to to wallow? Whatever it is, if you can figure out what the impulse is, what the root of it is, you can then either get off or stay on, but stay connected to the why of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I in more conversations with her, I think something she's tried is just coloring before bed now Mm. in her bed. And she said, it's just very freeing because she always knows what she's going to get. It's not this question of is coloring going to take me down this dark rabbit hole. (laughs) That's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah. So it's her steadfast, you know, she doesn't do it every night. We're all a work on progress on this. And same, I try to read as much as possible. And I know what to expect. If I'm opening up a book, I know my eyes are going to get tired. It's going to be more calming than scrolling through my phone. But the way she phrased it, I thought that's really profound of try to find something where you know what you're going to get, especially in those moments before bed, because that sleep is so important. I'm sure for confidence as well, right? It's hard to feel confident if you're exhausted (laughs) mentally and physically and to take action. And so it's paramount. We all need to prioritize it, but try to set yourself up for success, you know, not, not relying on these apps to give you that calming drift off that you're looking for. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's really important. And I also want to give us all a break because and I'm sure I was thinking, you know, it's funny, we're talking about nutrition, but I was, I was, I was watching TV the other night and at about, I don't know, it was like seven o'clock, I was watching something and the food commercials were so heavy hmm. that, and then late at night. And I was thinking, you know, we are bombarded 
all the time. And it's a very sophisticated bombardment. This is a whole other topic, Brooke, but it is very sophisticated. It's same with an app, same with your phone. The reason we're hooked is because there are people working on hooking us. Mm-hmm. Same with food, same with anything. So I want to give us all a major shout out for trying to take a stand against a very sophisticated enemy at times. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. That's a really good point. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? In terms of investing in health, I and, and relating it back to confidence, I... I really believe that if we are feeling well, just as we just taught, touched upon, if we're feeling well, if we are investing in our health, mind, body, and spirit, then we have a foundation to stand on. Mm-hmm. We have this, we have ourselves then to rely on, to believe in, to um, champion. And so when those pieces are in place, you can create the kind of life that you really want to because you don't have to be battling not feeling well. So I believe a health investment, investing in health, is one of the best investments that you can give to yourself. Agreed. 100%. (laughs) Where can listeners follow and find you? They can find me on my website, which is Carol with a K, K A R O L ward.com. If people go there, I'm offering, I have a, a, a free book called The Confidence to Lead. It's an ebook, mm-hmm. and people can download and get that. And it talks about some of the things that we've talked about today, but they can have it for themselves. Uh, I can be found on LinkedIn. I can. That's the only, that's the only place. I don't have any other social media accounts (laughs) for now, now, but I think your website and LinkedIn, that's more than enough. And speaking of trying to stay off the apps as much as possible, that's probably helpful. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. I learned a lot as I suspected I went about confidence. And I'm just really grateful that you were here to share your time with us. Oh, Brooke, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.